Hi, everyone. This is Paul Durham, and welcome to Telling Lies to Children. Uh, before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, on next week, the podcast will be made available uh, instead of Tuesday, November 1st. It's going to be on Monday, October 31st, Halloween. And the reason for that is that I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be recording a live broadcast from uh, my local, uh, my my favorite and my local independent booksellers, Water Street Bookstore, uh, right here in Exeter, New Hampshire, where I live. Uh, That'll be at uh, around 5.15 or so on this coming Friday, uh, the 28th, right after Exeter's uh, little Halloween parade that they have downtown. I'm going to be there uh, talking live with the terrific booksellers at Water Street Bookstore about their favorite Halloween books and scary books, things like that for kids. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to get some uh, some kids themselves uh, uh, on the air, uh, on, uh, on the podcast, talking about their favorite books as well. So um, if you are a trick-or-treater, if you're around the Exeter, New Hampshire area on Friday... Uh, and you're going to be downtown, swing into Water Street Books around 5.15 or so, and stop in and talk about uh, your favorite scary books, and maybe I'll have uh, some of my uh, favorite candy and treats for you there. Um, So as for today's episode, uh, I have on, uh, today's another uh, librarian today. Her name is Liz Gotako, and she is the vice president of the Children's Librarians of New Hampshire. Uh, I'm actually going to be speaking uh, at the, they go by, they go by Chili's uh, for short, and I'm going to be speaking at their annual fall conference this coming Thursday. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Liz was nice enough to spend some time with me last week uh, on the phone, just talking a little bit about their organization, talking about libraries and um, graphic novels and things that are of interest uh, to her. So um, it's a little bit of a shorter podcast this week, just because there's so much going on um, with the live broadcast coming up, but I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, So join me and Liz after the introduction. Thanks for being here as always. Shh. Are the kids gone? Good. It's time for Telling Lies to Children with me, your host, Paul Durham. This is a first-of-its-kind podcast, one hosted by a children's author, that's me again, but intended for adults who live and breathe children's literature. That's you. Whether you're a librarian, a media specialist, a teacher, or a parent, we all work with children every day. But sometimes, it's nice to talk like adults with adults who share our love of children's books and publishing. I'll be chatting with editors at the world's biggest publishing houses, literary agents, award-winning authors, booksellers, librarians, and even young readers. Join me and my guests as we give you a candid, behind-the-scenes look at children's publishing, the business of telling lies to children but only the best kinds of lies, of course. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, Liz, I guess, thanks again for joining me on Telling Lies to Children today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's awesome. You are um, you're one of several uh, gatekeepers, as as uh, us authors like to call you guys. Do you guys ever refer to yourselves as gatekeepers? I don't think so. I think librarians are <laughs> very <laughs> humble people. <laughs> but I like 
Yeah, then, and well, no, I, I think that that is a, a nice term um, for the occupation. So, and it's and it's uh, it's a wonderful gate to keep. <laughs> yeah, and you guys do, and you guys do a great job at it. I, I, I've been, you know, I speak with a lot of authors as well, and I've gotten to know them. And and for the most part, we really we really adore you guys. I was I was commenting um, on one of my podcasts recently about how I feel like, and maybe this is not true, but I feel like librarians are much different now than they were when I was a kid. Like I frankly can hardly even remember the school librarians or the, you know, the youth services librarians and things like that at the public library. Um, just because I, you know, I'm sure they were, you know, I'm sure they, they loved their jobs and were very dynamic and, and, and threw themselves into it. But somehow the ones I meet now are, are much more, uh, li libraries are much more vibrant sort of interactive place. Uh, is that, is that, is, I, what yeah. do you think? I, I agree. And, and from my own experience as well, like, you know, even as a librarian, I, I can't remember who my public <laughs> librarian was. And I was there a lot. I do remember my school librarian very fondly. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot more. Well, I think the programming has definitely, you know, burst. It's become much more of a community center. So you have a lot more um, personal time with, I think, your frequent patrons. Um, and I also do think that, you know, this kind of there's. Well, there's lots of there's many different types of librarians, but the the kind of the cons I guess concept of them is changing. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I mean, so what, as far as now, you're a you're a uh, in a in a public library. You're the head of youth services at the at the Merrimack Public Library currently. Although you'll be moving on to to uh, uh, back home, it sounds like Rhode Island, yes, yeah. to teen services there. Yeah, right. So, so how how do you find um, what's the how do you find do you find differences between uh, public librarians as opposed to school librarians as far as how you approach your job? Maybe you don't know, but I'm just, just curious if there are distinctions. And um, again, in each case, assuming that you're working with young readers, um, how what, what's different about being a, a, a public librarian as opposed to a, a school librarian? Well, I think you know, school librarians are, of course, working off of a curriculum. So you have a little more freedom in public libraries. Um, of course, you get kids coming in um, working on their school stuff as well, um, but you're not necessarily tied to that. A lot of the school librarians, though, that I've worked with in my communities have been absolutely wonderful. They love making a connection to the public library. Um, I really like making sure my library in some ways mirrors the school library, just so it's a it's a similar experience. It's a familiarity that goes between the two. Um, but I think uh, school librarians are having a lot of fun, too. You know, and what's really nice for them is they see the kids they can really get to see the kids all the time. And public librarians are kind of dealing with um, busy schedules, of course, um, extracurricular stuff. So um, we don't get the face time that school librarians do, um, which I think is why it's nice to, for us to work together, because um, we're all definitely fighting for the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, what what um now do you have a uh, do you have a uh, any animals in your library? I always ask that because I always get a kick of how many small creatures <laughs> reside in libraries. <laughs> Um, our library used to have an aquarium. We no longer do. But the first library I worked at in North Providence, Rhode Island, had guinea pigs. That's a popular choice. I've seen many of those, many guinea pigs in the libraries. Yes, no library cat, sadly, although I understand why. <laughs> That's not an ideal library pet. <laughs> Probably not, and depending, and if you don't get the right cat, they might not. They, yeah, it might not. You know, cats aren't always as welcoming as, as some other types of creatures are, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, one of the um, one of the organizations, obviously that that I, you know that you're involved with, and I'm familiar with because I live here in New Hampshire, but but people listening may not be, 
is uh, is the Children's Librarians of New Hampshire. And I always thought it was sort of for short, it was pronounced Chili's. Uh, but I, is it Chillis? Or how, how do you guys? Chillis. Okay. And I don't know if that is because of the popular restaurant chain or not, but oh. <laughs> um, it is Chillis. Got it. Sword eye. And, and, and since I'm since I'm going to be speaking at the fall uh, the fall conference in a few weeks, I, I should get that right. So thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Although uh, members have once in a while slipped, so no worries. Right. So so tell me, can you can you can you tell me a little bit about um, about you know that organization and what you guys do and and how uh, the the public librarians across the state sort of interact with with Chillis? Absolutely. So um, Chillis is the um, youth services chapter of um, the New Hampshire Library Association. That focuses on children's. They, we do have the young adult version as well. Um, and it's made up of children's librarians and, and library staff all over New Hampshire. Um, and uh, the board member is mostly youth services librarians. And we basically try to put together resources for children's librarians in the state. Um, we have conferences and other professional development opportunities. Um, we're kind of there as a support, I guess, you know, a, a supportive organization um, for children's librarians. Um, we do scholarships for um, youth services librarians to either attend conferences or sometimes we've um, done small scholarships for um, for grad school and, uh, and other courses. Um, and we have some initiatives we cover. You know, we have some book awards, of course, that you're familiar with, the Great Stoneface um, Book Award, as well as the Ladybug Book Award. Um, and um, we also uh, help with the Thousand Books Before Kindergarten um, initiative that we've got, kind of put forward for libraries. Um, and that's, I think, would say is the main bulk of our work, as well as some fundraising efforts, too, for um, summer reading in New Hampshire. And uh, and you, are you on the board of directors here? Is that what it, if I, I am? I am the vice president. Um, sadly, I will not be rising into my presidency as I am moving. But um, but they, I have been... they, they won't let you when you when you move to Rhode Island. They won't. No. Yeah. <laughs> Skype you in from afar. <laughs> Uh, probably no, but I've been the, I've been on the board for a number of years. I started as secretary, and I've been the VP this past year. Gotcha. And um, and and how how long have you um I mean how long have you been involved um with Chillis? Is that something you've been been uh, you know in, involved in the leadership for quite a while, or is it? I've been um on the board for three years, and right almost right after I moved to New Hampshire, the uh they reached out to um because we're always looking for um more involvement, whether it's board positions or just people that want to be you know present and um and helping out. Um, so they reached out to me and, um, I got to join in pretty quickly. Yeah, terrific. Uh, how, how did, um, so, so moving on to, to some of your, your other interests, because I, I understand I've heard through the grapevine and well, you've, you've told me as well, but even before you told me that one of your, your favorite things to, to talk about, um, is graphic novels and the importance of graphic novels for, for readers. So could you talk a little bit about that? Cause I know a lot of people, um, even a lot of authors, you know, my, I myself, although I write for middle grade, um, middle grade readers, I, I don't spend a lot of time reading graphic novels myself. So, so could you, you know, could you, uh, talk a bit about them? Why, why you like them? Why do you think they're important? And, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a kind of a new graphic novel fan myself. I mean, relatively speaking, I've, I, probably didn't really start reading them regularly and ardently until about five years ago. Um, so of course they come, I come to it with my own personal interest, but as I began to read more about, you know, how they're helpful for readers, um, there's so, there's so much to them, you know, and, um, for a long time, um, they've been kind of pigeonholed as this great tool for like reluctant readers or struggling readers. And that is very true. Um, uh, I'm not knocking that by any means. Um, you know, they're they're great, of course, um, for struggling readers because you've got those 
images that really help decode the text um, as they're reading. The storytelling is very active, I think, um, you know, almost cinematic um, in nature. Um, They're sort of like an easy book that older kids don't feel babyish for reading. So there's lots of lots of good reasons why we should use graphic novels with reluctant readers, but they're actually good for every kind of reader. Um, there's graphic novels for new readers um, um, that contain like really great vocab lessons. They kind of teach new readers um, basic story construction, you know, lining out the beginning, the middle and the ending of a story. And even like the physical act of reading a graphic novel um, helps new readers, you know, get that kind of left to right eye movement that you need in traditional reading as well. Um, it kind of, they, like, they take the tools that, that you're learning with a traditional prose book and kind of amplifies it because of that visual aspect. And they're really good for kids who are really skilled at reading too. I mean, most graphic novels, um, I think, you know, parents and some teachers are, and some librarians still, they feel like they're kind of juvenile. And that's just because of this like reputation they've had as being this really kind of babyish medium. But um, most graphic novels are written at like a fourth, fifth or sixth grade reading level. Um, because they have to use such interesting vocabulary in that concise dialogue and language. Um, so they're really great for just all ages and all levels. So as far as, as far as some examples, again, cause my take, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to play ignorant a little bit just for the sake of the conversation. Um, but, but as far as different types of graphic novels that fall into different categories. Yes. So, so there are obviously ones like, for example, El Defo, right? Which, yep. which, you know, El Defo is, is, uh, um, for I, I imagine most people listening to the podcast know that this is our most recent Newbery winner. Um, so we're not talking about um, books that are, you know, this is not a book that falls on the, you know, glorified comic book <laughs> scale. Right? It is revered yeah. and it is absolutely wonderful. <laughs> right. So, so and then, and then um, you know, one of my favorite books, which was uh, another award-winning, Newbery winning, was uh, the Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman, which was written in, in prose, but has then uh, more recently been adapted into a graphic novel. Yep. Right. Um, and then, and then I suppose there are. So, what are what are some other examples of, of graphic novels? Uh, I guess I would say of that stature. Those those type of graphic novels. Sure. So the type of graphic novels um, you're talking about are these you know, these great, which are basically you know novels in that comic book format. Um, there's a lot of really good ones like that in all different genres, too. So, like, El Defo is a really great memoir. Um, so some other really good sort of memoir ones, of course, are, like, Raina Telgemeier's book, Smile. Um, Sisters, which is really popular. Her new one is Ghosts. Um, Awkward is another really cute one, and that's on our Great Stone Face list this year. That's not a memoir. That's just more realistic fiction. Um, but they also have great fantasy ones. Of course, like, the Graveyard book fits into that. Um the there's some really wonderful nonfiction graphic novels. Um, my favorite series is Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales, which it just takes um, American history and gives it this really funny spin. Um, and there's like seven of those that are just all phenomenal. Um, but also, you know, and we in libraries, we house a bunch of different types of graphic novels together. We've got those ones, but we also keep our um, like our comic books, which, of course, um, if you don't know, um, comics are you know issued in these kind of the serialized short um, format, but then when they're when you take a bunch of volumes together and put them together, that's like a trade paperback. Generally, it's called. So we keep those as well. Where you know we got your Garfields and your Scooby Doo's and your Peanuts and um, My Little Ponies and that type of thing. 
Um, and then also sometimes at libraries, we'll keep the, um, the, the volumes of like the old funnies and the comic strips like Calvin and Hobbes and stuff like that. Um, and while those are all three different, um, they all tend to find the same reader. And I think a lot of times those, the funnies that we like in the paper are kind of a little gateway to, um, bigger graphic novels and more, you know, artier ones. I think they're all good. <laughs> and, and anything that's getting somebody, somebody reading, right? I think that's the general mentality is if it, if it, if it gets a kid reading, it, it, it's, it's at least doing something right. Yeah. And I think that they, um, they work in a lot of different ways. You know, I think you, ca- I think you can, a lot, a lot of um, people hope that if you give a kid the graphic novel version of like A Wrinkle in Time, which is gorgeous, that maybe then they'll move on to the actual book. And I think that is true. And there's a lot of, um, you know, graphic novelizations of classic literature that I think have opened um, readers' eyes to those stories. Um, but then on the flip side, I think um, something that's really interesting about kids that like to read graphic novels is that they'll um, go outside their like safe space for reading. Like a lot of times when kids read prose books, they find one they really like and they want to read everything that's just like it. Whereas kids that um, learn to like the graphic novel format, they just love that visual and the format so much that they'll read all sorts of stuff. And, you know, they might read a fantasy one, but then they might pick up a nonfiction and they might then pick up something more realistic and something they wouldn't even think they would read because they're like, oh, I want to see, you know, kind of what this artist has created and what this story looks like. Do you do you find the kids go back and forth or do, so for example the the kids who are really into the, the graphic no, novel format do you find that that they they jump into prose and likewise do you find kids who are read primarily tradition you know more traditional uh, novels go back and forth with graphic novels or do they tend to, do they tend to stay in their own camps I think we're seeing that back and forth a little more you know I I think for a while it was kind of polarized. Um, and there's definitely kids that just want to read comic books. Um, and there are kids that think maybe graphic novels aren't for them. I'm o- I always think encouraging. I, I think that, that whenever librarians and teachers and parents can introduce graphic novels to their kids that aren't reading them, I think that's a great thing. Just like on the flip side, maybe we, we, you want to you know help your reader grow into the more traditional books. I think, but I do think that. Um, because they're becoming a more popular format these days, you are starting to get readers that will dabble in both sides. It's interesting, and I think of because many um, you know, middle middle grade books, for example, you know, the books I write, the books that that a lot of us write in that you know age eight to twelve. You know, I, I say middle grade. Most yeah. most of us know what that is, but sometimes people who are listening are like, "What's middle grade? Is that middle school?" You know, anyone people who aren't actually involved in, <laughs> in absolutely, kids, it's totally kids. like <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, but so mo- most, if not not all, but but most of them do have some elements of illustrations inside. So you might have, you know, you might have chapter art at the beginning of each chapter. There yes. might there might be illustrations intermingled, and and I think that was the the traditional approach to um, uh, sort of middle grade before before the uh, before graphic novels have become more prominent in recent years. Um, how do you find do at least I, I know I find that kids are, are still very much even the ones who read uh, read primarily prose they still really appreciate the illustrations and the in the visual elements um, you know obviously on the fantasy side kids love maps um, you know ma- maps are, are have been of course part of fantasy literature forever and kids seem to really you know they really dig dig them <laughs> and 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 I mean do you find that so do, do you find that um, uh, kids are still looking for even in, in more traditional novels they, they still kind of uh, they, they, they still get a charge out of the illustrations and the art and things like that I think they definitely do you know I and I I think for similar reasons why kids I, that I've talked to about graphic novels like them I, th- I think they really 
um, they like to be invested in the world that the that the author has created. And if an illustrator works with them, that just enriches it even more. Um, so I, lo- I love that um, we still have this tradition of, of illustrations um, in these traditional um, chapter books um, because it does it does add a lot to the story. Um, it, you know, I think it it gives a picture of what, you know, of what the author and the illustrator together have, are, have created. And I think that helps even then for kids to go off on their own and, and grow off of that image as well. So, Liz, for, for, for people within, you know, within uh, the other gatekeepers of the world um, mm-hmm. who maybe don't don't share the same enthusiasm, because my sense is that there are, and, and I frankly have talked to some who sort of, uh, you know, turn their, I won't say they turn their noses up at, at graphic novels, but they definitely, um, they definitely push, given the option, they encourage kids and try to get uh, more traditional uh, novels in their hands. Um is there is there like an ongoing discussion between between uh, you know different people who have different impressions? I mean, how do you when when you talk when you talk about this issue with other librarians who maybe don't uh, who aren't as enthusiastic uh, as you are about it? What what kind of things do you say or, or what's the back and forth like? Well, um, one of the things um, you know, I, I, a lot of times I'll have parents come in that are like, "All my, oh, my kid just wants to read comic books," and like, "How do I help them?" You know, do more. I'm so worried, and you know, if they come to me worried, I try to reassure them that these are all the good reasons. These are all the good things that come out of your child reading comic books. So definitely encourage it. Like, if your kid likes reading comic books, subscribe them to more comics, <laughs> because right. um, comic book readers uh, t- t- turn into lifelong readers, and that's true for. Um, that's true for a lot of literature that gets panned over the years, including myself. Like when I was um, 10, all I wanted to read was the babysitter's club because it's an amazing series, but you know, my parents are like, really, that's all you want to read. And you know, and I'm a librarian now. And that's true for a lot of people, you know, that kind of, the kind of lighter literature um, it sticks with kids. And as adults, they may just continue to read that same type of literature, but oftentimes they, they branch out and when they're older. Um, so those, those, those are good things. If, if teachers and parents want their kids to be lifelong readers, I encourage them not to shy away from the stuff that their kids like. Um, and, and stuff and kids, you know, finding books that they like is really important. Um, Scholastic does this study every year, um, with families and reading and, like every year, you know, 70% of kids say they would read more if they could find the books they like. So we definitely don't want to steer them away from what they're picking up. Um, but, you know, of course, if a parent is really adamant um, or a teacher that they want to, you know, branch out, their kid to branch out, I think there are ways to do that, too. You know, there's like we talked about the, the graphic novel versions of classic books. I, there's a lot of those hybrid books these days, like you think of Diary of a Wimpy Kid or Big Nate. Um, where they kind of have some prose, have some comics, and those can be sort of a nice bridge. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, yeah. So, so what, what are they exactly? Like, how are they, how are, how do they sort of fit into when, when, when librarians are, are categorizing books? Um, how, how do, how do those, those types of books, those, those, you know, like, like the, the Wimpy Kids and, and the various other versions of Wimpy Kid that are out there, how do they fit in? They fit in right with the other chapter books, you know, that tends to be where they live. Um, so, you know, the, the Big Nate series kind of has both. They have they have um, the um, you know, kind of half pros, half cartoons, and then there's the full funnies for those. So the full funnies stay with our, our um, graphic novels. But um, for the most part, they yeah, they just go right with the chapter books. And I think part of that is because you kind of hope that maybe when they go over to the wimpy kid, they're going to turn their head and their eyes going to be caught by, you know, a totally different book. Um, <laughs> right. right. Um, so... 
uh, and also I think to for me I think that helps uh, legitimize the books and I hate I don't like saying that because like they there's no reason why anyone should feel like they are legitimate books but you know you know for people that are kind of like oh I don't know um, you know they're part of the bigger collection and they're part of our literature and the kids are loving it yeah. you know you, you mentioned uh, you, you mentioned the babysitters club I just as an aside I it, it was pretty cool. I was on a panel with Ann M. Martin about about six months after my first book was published at the Boston Book Festival. So it was kind of cool to share a stage with somebody like that. Lovely. Yeah. Um, so it, when you, now now we are, as people may or may not realize, is that a lot of times when we do podcasts, um, they're often by telephone, and um, and so I'm not I, I'm not I'm not lucky enough to get to share space with you, but I but I am I'm looking at your Skype image, and um, you have what appears to be a, a, a Wonder Woman um, <laughs> headband. Are you wearing that now by any chance? I am not wearing it right now. <laughs> um, it is on my shelf, and I actually I made that on our library's 3D printer. Oh, very cool! You guys have a 3D printer in the library. Yes, we do. Um, we got it uh, last year with a, at one of our big our big annual fundraiser. We decided to raise for that, and people got really excited for it. So, yep, we have a 3D printer. People can bring in their designs or pick something out from the internet and print it out for free. So, I printed that baby out and I painted it, and um, and I adore it. <laughs> now, now, now well, a couple of things. So, it, do the kids? Um, do a lot of the kids come in and and do stuff with 3D printer, or how's, how does that? Uh, is yeah. that? It must be a. There must be quite a. I would imagine that's quite the popular. Uh, Yes, there is a bit of a queue. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we have a little paperwork that people f- uh, fill out with the um, the item. You know, they usually find something on Thingiverse or another similar website that where people have created a design. I don't know if anyone has created an original design. I'll have to ask um, our adult services librarian about that. But yeah, all ages, they submit something they'd like, and it just goes in the queue. And we give them a call when it's all printed out. They we have a bunch of different colors that they can pick. Um, and we see a lot of different types of stuff. You know, of course we see a lot of pop culture, like models type thing. Um, but some people have done cool things. I had one teen printed out like a reed for his saxophone and, um, my director printed out a capo for her ukulele. So they're doing stuff that you'd actually use too, besides, you know, uh, you know, Wonder Woman tiaras and models of the TARDIS, which are fabulous. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wide range of unique things that people have uh, brought to the table. Well, I, again, so, so, so somebody involved with Chillis when they were when they were making recommendations as to who I should chat with mentioned that uh, when you do some of your presentations, you do them in costume. That's why I bring up this whole Wonder Woman line oh, of yeah. questioning. <laughs> yeah, I've been. Um, I uh, unfortunately, this is the first year uh, in a few years I haven't gone to New York Comic Con, but I have enjoyed uh, some of the Comic Cons, and I love um, cosplay. I actually have a theater background, so I used to be an actor and I used to do costume design. Um, so. That's how I bring that forth into my librarianship is I, I really love to dress up. We had a frozen party and I was Elsa and one of my uh, girlfriends came in as, as Anna. And um, we definitely did a superhero day. I've been Batgirl and Wonder Woman for that. Um, it definitely makes it an extra memorable experience in the library. And it's fun for my, you know, me that, you know, because I like to dress up and put on a show. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's great. Now, now, do you ever have, I mean, do you have authors, do you, do you bring in authors to your library? Have you ever had authors at the library or what do you, what do you, um, guess, anything like that that you yep. guys do? Yep. We, um, so my, um, my director is a big, um, uh, it's actually, I think our, one of our state reps for NaNoWriMo. Um, so she loves to bring in authors for uh, the adults, but for kids, um, we have done a few author Skypes. We Skyped with Suzanne Selfors, um, last year, um, as well as Avi a few years ago. Um, 
uh, when I first came, we had a big teen author festival at the, it was sort of a collaboration between the high school and myself. And we had um, like 10 local um, teen book authors that came in and they had a big panel on writing and, and their books. And that was really exciting yes. so to have authors come down. Yeah, that's it's it's always it's always fun. I, you know, for, when I go into schools, it's, it's you. It, when I go into do visits, it's often more often than not schools. But every now and then, you know, I'll work with the public library, and it, it's uh, it's always a nice um, it's it's a nice change of pace. It's a nice it's a different kind of setting, and it it oftentimes draws people from even outside the immediate community who'll come and who'll, you know who'll, who'll come out to to see you. So yeah, yep. You know. um, with respect to what would you like to see, um, again, as a youth librarian, what would you like to see, and maybe this is a big question, authors and publishers doing more of um, that would that you know would benefit your readers? Oh, wow. Um, I told you it was a big question. You can narrow it, you can narrow it down or tackle it however you want. <laughs> well, I'm definitely a big fan of the We Need Diverse Books movement. So I think, and I think that's a big thing happening in the, publishing world that is that I'm really excited about and that will have a great you know trickle down effect for libraries and for the kids that come to them um but I and I just think I don't know I I I really other than that doing what you're doing creating new stories I think you know going outside the box and trying to bring some you know keep bringing original ideas to the table I think that's the best thing. And, and certainly I love to hear when authors, you know, like to visit libraries and do that type of thing. Cause I, you know, I think that, um, that's exciting for kids and it also, it makes it, it makes it even more real. It's, it's nice to see the people that create these stories, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't know too many, I don't know too many authors who don't do that sort of thing. Yeah. I can't imagine ever like reaching out to an author and then be like, Nope. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very seldom, and especially with, especially with Skype now. Um, almost, almost everybody that I know uh, is is more than happy to do a Skype visit. Um, uh, yeah. Because they're fun, and you can Skype with some really, you know, cool places. I'm actually in the process of scheduling a Skype visit um, in Krakow, Poland, which is as far, which as far as that'll be as far as I've, I've Skype visited. Before London was as far as I've gone, but now my Skype visits will, will get to Poland, so that'll be fun. That's very cool. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, as far again, most um, almost all children's authors I know are, are all very eager um, to do them. They're happy to do them, and I always just encourage. You know, anybody out there who's listening or anybody I talk with is, you know, don't be shy to reach out. If you're, if you're reading a book at, you know, at your library or in your class that you're and you're a fan, um, don't be afraid to reach out to the authors because we're, we're all pretty easy to find, I think. Um, and if you just, oftentimes if you just ask, they'll be happy to, you know, spend, if not come to the school, I mean, spend 20 minutes or a half hour with you on Skype. Um, and that applies to libraries as well. Yeah, that's great. I, the Skype visits we've had have tied in with our book group, and it's just been, it's made it a little extra special. Um, so uh, that's been yeah the Skype the Skype visits has been a big boon to libraries. Yeah, all, all great stuff. Um, well, Liz, I, this has been um, this has been been really wonderful. I know you I know um, I know you're, you're you're super busy, but I but I've had had, had uh, some fun just sitting here chatting with you. Talk about graphic novels. I think I learned a little bit about graphic novels today, so I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm so glad. Uh, yeah, this has been um, awesome for me too. Well, um, well, well, well. Thanks again, and uh, best of luck with uh, with uh, with the move and and uh, you know everything uh, everything that, that comes next. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, telling lies to children was brought to you by, well, nobody. 
just me and my guests. One of the nice things about being completely unknown in the vast world of podcasting is that you don't have to listen to me read 10 minutes worth of ads at the beginning and end of every episode. But I hope you'll check out my website, pauldurhambooks.com. There you can find out more about the Luck Ugly series, you can book a school visit, you can shop the newly opened Dead Fish Inn gift shop, or just reach out and say hello. I'd love to hear from you. You can also find links to all of my guests' websites and social media there. So until next time, I wish you happy reading, ugly luck, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. See you next time.